Welcome to the Emerging Women Podcast, where we hear from brilliant women leaders who are making big changes in the world. I am your host, Chantal Pirat, CEO and founder of Emerging Women. Hello. Before we start our conversation with today's guest, I want to make sure that you know how to get more support from Emerging Women. If you head over to emergingwomen.com, you'll find some amazing resources, including a free trial of our membership community. This is the place to learn from trailblazing thought leaders, industry experts, coaches, and mentors, all focused on helping you live the truth of who you are. You'll be joining a group of amazing women like you who want change for themselves and the world. And I personally lead our monthly Circle Up video calls where we all come together to work through our edges in leadership and life. Don't go it alone, sisters. Check out EmergingWomen.com and sign up for your free trial today. For today's podcast session, we are thrilled to have a very engaging guest with us, Miss Natasha Scripture, to delve into the highlights of her new book, ready for this, Man Fast. What a great title, huh? And to learn more about the inspiration and ideas behind this wonderfully written memoir. First, a little bit about Natasha. She's an author, a poet, an activist, and a formal global aid worker. She's been a spokesperson for the United Nations, covering humanitarian crises all around the world, including countries like Ethiopia and Pakistan. Prior to this, she worked as a writer, producer, and an editor, and she's also certified in the art of Ayurveda, health and healing. She is releasing her newest work, Manifest, a memoir, just this year, so it's fresh and very engaging. It's a total page turner. Today, Natasha and I explore a variety of ideas, including how to refocus our mental energies on finding our best self and how to accept ourselves, how to focus on our own emotional, physical, spiritual well-being, and to understand the concept of love, returning to what she calls wholeness. Natasha's book is focused on helping us to feel fulfilled on our own. Thank you, Natasha. Rather than be dependent on the intrinsic and or societal notions that to be complete as a human being, we must be in a committed relationship with another person. I don't know about you, but I am ready for a new record on that one. So we'll learn insights on how to stand on our own. Hallelujah. And guess what? Be fulfilled by that and feel that there is a deep sense of personal meaning by standing on our own as an individual in our uniqueness, in our fullest human expression. Yes, yes, yes. From self-love to romantic love, we are embarking on this journey with Natasha and I'm so happy to include you in this conversation. It's all part of the Emerging Women Ethos. Join us and welcome Natasha. Hello and welcome, Natasha. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's so exciting. I get you for a good hour or, you know, we'll try and get it to 45 minutes, but I know us. And there's just, it's always so juicy talking to you. I know, we keep going forever. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Your book, Manfast, Manfast, first of all, that title is just fantastic. And I also want to say, and you'll probably say this yourself, that these principles in the book are not just specific to men, that, you know, we're talking about taking a break from being completely obsessed by thinking that we need a lifelong partner or the one in order to feel complete in the world. And it doesn't matter whether that's a man or a woman or whether you're a hybrid or bi or whatever. I just wanted to say that um, for the listeners who are somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I see the book or the whole journey in the book as a return to wholeness. So 
um, you know, I don't want to give it away, but there's obviously enough for, for lesbians and, and everyone. So the whole gamut. <laughs> there's enough for everyone here, people. Just letting you all know this is a juicy, juicy book <laughs> and so well written. And you're somebody Thank who's, you. yes, I mean, it's just so great to read a memoir that's like exquisitely written. I poured my heart and soul into it. I mean, in so many ways, I, I feel like the, the book, the, the piece itself was divinely inspired. I mean, you could definitely say that about any piece of art or any memoir, of course. But because it felt that way, it was like I owed it to, to, to it, <laughs> to my, not even to my readers, because I wasn't really thinking about it them because I was so in the process that I owed it to myself to just make it as good and as clear and deep and wise as I possibly could. Yes. But thank you for saying that. Awesome. Yes. It's a wonderful read. And I love it because I can't tell you how many women I have in my life that just personally, this is totally anecdotal, that either they've left a relationship and and has they've done a lot of spiritual work or personal development work and they're at this point where they're not willing to compromise right but they want to be in relationship and they want somebody to you know share this sort of journey of deep dive of personal growth of having a life of meaning and having a, you know, work and life and, and community that really reflects the truth of who they are. And so they find themselves single. They're not like falling into the relationship traps that they used to because they were driven, you know, by a different perspective. But once they've done that spiritual work, and yet there's, they're, they don't want to have that, you know, sort of compromised relationship. And yet they're struggling with feeling that fulfillment and that happiness and that contentment on their own. So they've made this choice and yet they're completely unhappy. So I'm happy to dig into this and find a way for for these women and other women who are in similar situations to really get behind this choice. Right. I mean, I completely agree. And I think it's so common. And I also think, you know, just to your point, there are a lot of women who are waiting longer. And I think if we wait longer and we do that spiritual inner work, um, it becomes harder to meet someone because we don't want to be with someone who hasn't done that, right? Because that wouldn't be an evil, an even partnership. Yeah. So in that sense, we don't want to compromise. Um, you know, I think for me, I have really gotten to the point where I realized that I was the one that I was waiting for, that I wasn't, you know, I kept looking for this one, like in Plato's Symposium, this other half. And, and then I just kind of really just gave up and like not fake giving up, like tricking the universe. But I really was just like, you know what, I have to be enough. And then if it's just going to be me and me, how am I going to make my life as full as possible? Um, and I think it has to be really authentic because I think for a while I, I was saying those things like a few years ago, but I don't know that I was really embodying that. And then, um, I started reading about love and how the Greeks start looking at love or how they used to look at love. And, um, there's so many different words for love in, in Greek, you know, we're so fixated on a romantic partnership. And yet a lot of these women that you're talking about, there's so many different forms of love, right? Like in our friendships um, or, the, or familiar love, George is what they call it in Greek, or, um, you know, agape is kind of that self-love that the Buddhists talk about. And so we're so fixated on eros and just having one monogamous relationship. And yet look at your girlfriends or, or your guy friends and the communities that you're a part of. So I think part of it is like, the more you realize that there isn't love lacking, the more you kind of projecting that, right? Because if you're projecting lack, then you attract lack. I really do believe in that. Um, but it takes a while to get there and to really like fully believe that, right? Totally. You know, I want to stop you here for just a second because I love what you were what you were saying. Can we go over those different forms of love one by one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but when I was doing my research for the book, I was like, um, I started reading some literature around what, what the ancient Greeks used to, to you know, how they used to speak about love. So if you pick up any old book, you'll see that they have so many different terms, right? We just think pretty much romantic love. That's like what Hollywood and Bollywood and, you know, that's what 
you know, culture wants us to fixate on or, or kind of we end up fixating on. But there's Eros, right? So that's the one we're kind of talking about, which is named after the Greek god of love and, and fertility. And that's kind of like when you think about falling in love and, um, you know, losing control and that kind of breathlessness. And that's kind of what we all want in a way. But then there's um, so much other love, right? So there's something called philia, which is what I really realized a lot when I was doing my man fast journey. Just, you know, through my 30s, I had so many deep friendships with my girlfriends because the longer you stay single, you just have this network of women who you just, who've been there for you, like through the highs and lows, right? I think about my mom, who about my dad at 24. So she never really had that time to develop those deep relationships. But here I am with like a whole sisterhood. Um, so they call that philia. So that's like the love between equals almost. Um, and then there's another love called storage. And so that's the kind of love between uh, when you think about a parent and a child or between siblings. Um, then there's mania, which is obsessive love, which is a whole other thing. Um, I'm thinking a nice man and Henry Miller potentially. And then, there's philotia, I think I'm saying it right, but it's it's self-love, so um, self-compassion. It's a lot of what uh, Sharon Salzberg talks about. And, and agape, which is more of a, a spiritual, deeper love that's, um, you know, referred to in the Greek Old Testament. And they're kind of, it's, it's a love that involves just kindness, kindness towards the world, um, being able to see see the divine and all that kind of thing. So those are the few that I, I know of, but I'm sure there are more. And so when I started thinking about how I've been, I, it made me feel like I was so limited in how I was seeing the world. And, the, and, and so that's kind of, that really helped me in terms of just feeling this real sense of abundance, which I think is so important, right? Uh, if you want more, right? So yeah. if you want more in your life, just realizing how much you already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Yes. And, you know, it's funny. It's not just people who are single who are, you know, kind of like discovering, oh, my gosh, I can get so much love out of the relationships I have with my girlfriends. I will tell you that people in marriages like myself, I've been with my husband for 21 years and um congrats (laughs) thank you amazing Uh, yes and you know i mean it's just it's i'm like can i have a husband fast no i'm just kidding but i (laughs) you know i fantasize about going away for like you know with my girlfriends for a week like a girl's vacation like i'm some people are fantasizing about like the romantic getaway and I'm fantasizing about like a week long with like my best friends. And the fact of the matter is, even though, you know, I mean, I'm very close to my husband. I started Emerging Women because I discovered as, you know, when I first started doing my women's circle, we've been together for, I think at this point, it's over a decade. And we, we, you know, that's, I was realizing how much inspiration I got from, you know, getting to know these women over time and how much they've helped me, how much like personal meaning they gave my life. And so whether you're single or not, I do think that it's healthy, especially for women, especially, especially for women who are fueled with a sense of purpose and want more out of their lives. And they feel that fire of emergence to surround themselves and to allow themselves to develop these deep bonds with women. So I'm just making a plug for women who are also married that it's not too late, first of all, to develop these relationships. And it's absolutely essential to discover this kind of intimacy. So, yeah. Right. And I think, and I think, and and I think that women, we communicate with each other in a different way. We, we go through, life in a different way. Going through life as a woman is very different than going through life as a man. We have just different challenges. Um, and this is just something that we all kind of acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what you might be talking about, too, is that, uh, you know, when we think about emerging women or women who are going on their spiritual paths, maybe a little bit later in life, it's like, I think it's about tapping into that inner goddess. And so when we connect with other women, often it's because they're tapping into their own inner goddesses. When you're talking about these power circles, that's what it makes me think of. Mm -hmm. Um, The goddess that we kind of like 
didn't really think about it. I guess we call it kundalini energy. And it's something that doesn't enter us from the outside, but more kind of emerges from deep within. And so I think that having these relationships in this, this, the community, like the community that you've created with emerging women is so, um, it's so integral to that emergence, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you mm-hmm. need other people to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much work you can do on your own, but there's, I mean, honestly, it's amplified when you're doing it within a community of fellow seekers. Yes. And so let me ask you about, I love what you said about that when you're, you know, with different seekers and when you're with other women, it reminds you of your own inner goddess. Love that. Tell me now you're half Indian, right? You, your mother is Indian. It's your mother, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, and yeah. and right before the call, right before we started recording, we started talking about that, and you um, were talking about Indian goddesses. I love this whole idea of the inner goddess, and yet I'm sort of like, is it just goddess as a general, or does it help to kind of like find some of these archetypes and identify because they're so different, right? And I was I was going to ask you, like, can you tell me? Well, who are your top five go-to, like, symbols of goddess energy for feminine power or different versions of the feminine that you draw on to help connect you to your feminine? Okay, well, I mean, I don't know about top five goddesses, like a whole list. I mean, one of the big things that I realized, because for such a long time I was going to, you know, retreat centers, Omega and Kripalu and Esalen and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I just feel like, I feel like there's, I'm really about our internal guru. So I, I like, I see the symbolism. And of course, in my exploration of Hinduism and the Bhagavad Gita, I do, I, I do see that there is something there, but I'm also very much about being discerning about external teachers and, and, and gods and goddesses. Having said that, I guess the one that I really love and just kind of just I don't know. And I think about um, a lot of Saraswati, who's the, the goddess, the Hindu goddess of knowledge and music and arts and wisdom and nature. So it's like a bunch of things. And she plays the sitar and she just looks like this amazing kind of entity, completely whole, comfortable in her own skin. And, you know, I've been learning how to play the sitar and I just kind of see her as like my avatar in some way. So she's, she's somebody that I kind of think about, um, Sometimes, but, um, you know, there's other goddesses, but I don't like pray to any goddess in particular. Right. Um, yeah. So I can't really give you a list. <laughs> yeah. I'm but, just, I was just um, curious to see like, if you had some go-to or, you know, I just, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, like I know for instance, Durga, part of the whole new feminine paradigm for leadership and power is sort of using intense emotions or anger in a different way. You know, for me, like that's kind of, I've been, especially in this administration, just feeling so much like, and Durga's a goddess that, you know, she's very feminine and yet she's, you know, swinging the sword. And so it just like made me feel better about my, my own anger. And I just sort of feel like I don't need to usurp my sense of the feminine in order to like feel power or, you know, when I'm in the grips of anger and the two can go side by side. And, you know, I just, I was just curious to see like, if you, if you had, you know, come across that a lot in your travels, if whether or not people have integrated that. And I love what you said in terms of it's really about the inner guru and the goddess within. And so like both are kind of true, right? One's helpful to just sort of like awaken our inner our I just love what you said about the inner goddess. So, yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I hear you what you're saying about like kind of having, sometimes you think, Oh, if you're spiritual, can you have this temper? Can you feel anger? Um, when you think of this, you know, how Trump is kind of basically radicalizing women. And um, having said that, I have this picture of Kali, who's another Hindu goddess you probably are familiar yeah. with, who's basically the goddess of, you know, death and destruction. And she is often photographed, um, you know, with her tongue sticking out. So I, I do have her on my desktop for my work computer, because sometimes I'm like, but it reminds me that that's a part of me too, right? We all have yeah. anger. We all have, we have all these 
emotions. We're not just limited to like this kind of, um, you know, these sweet kind of passive emotions. I mean, I think anger is there, has a purpose, right? Um, and I think that that's just important to, to, you know, to notice. And I also think that, you know, all this internal work we're doing, you know, to get over our own, um, our grief, our anger, our own issues, it's then we have to link it to the activist work, right? So yeah. once we go through it, kind of a transformation, which often we have by the time we're in our mid-30s, 40s, how are we going to, you know, shift away from that real quiet, introverted work and then kind of bring it out into the world? And I think, and I think anger can activate us, right? And I just think that there shouldn't be any shame around accepting our darkness and our dark parts and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of emotions because, you know, I don't want to always be that person who acts like uh, everything's okay. I'm so happy and sweet. And, you right. know, because I have shame, right. And I have grief and I have anger and I, I'm really like my big thing right now is not about, you know, I, I won't repress anything. <laughs> so I just think that's so unhealthy. And I've really learned, I think even in the book, like, part of it was like really just getting into coming to terms with my grief over the loss of my father, which, you know, is, it was so painful. And now I understand why people really don't want to face those emotions because it's, it's cause you can just crumble. And that's why I took so much time off to just do this, do this journey and to write because I found that the writing was healing. But I think when we don't, um, we don't tap into those sides of ourselves, if we don't like really, acknowledge it like Tara Brock this meditation teacher that I I often listen to Mm -hmm. she says that grief can manifest itself in anger and aggression so it's just I think it's all a process of being aware right and 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 allowing all this stuff to kind of come to the surface if it needs to right yes and I love that you brought up grief I know we're meandering here I know you know but I'm a big meander. I love it's it's woman's podcast, right? We can we can spiral, but I love that you brought up grief because I also think that oftentimes when we are not partnered or we're not what we think, some you know we, we we're not with the one. And side note here, I think it can be very very lonely when you're in relationship with somebody that you know you're not supposed to be with. I think that's even more lonely than being on your own. And, but when we're, right. I mean, oh, I can think of in my own life, how many times I did that before I got with my husband. But I do feel like we definitely lose sight of this when we're on the, the single journey. And there's so much, there's so much grief. And I'm curious because you have always seemed somebody like like somebody to me. Every time I've seen you, of course, I'm projecting on you and we do that to each other. But you've always <laughs> had so much joy, even though I know that on this journey, your heart was really wanting this sort of soul partnership with somebody. But And yet uh, you never, you just seemed anyway from the outside to have so much joy. How did you manage that? Um. Well, I think we're all everything, right? I mean, some days I could feel really joyous. Um, I mean, of course, on that during that time, I was having all these adventures, right? Because it was part of, you know, leaving New York City and my kind of hectic lifestyle and my $4,000 a month rent and then going into the wilderness a lot. Like I was in Sicily, I was in an ashram in India. I was doing things that were bringing me joy, right? Which was like being in nature and working on a farm, Um you know, being close to the ocean, uh, being at an ashram and meditating, all this stuff was just making me feel a lot more clear headed. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I, like I say, kind of in the beginning, right before I, I leave New York city, I, I say, I really want spaciousness. And I found this term in Japanese, Yutori, which means spaciousness. And that's what I was looking for. And I think so when you feel the joy of my words, it's because I finally got that, you know, and it was spaciousness for a lot of stuff. It was like to, um, kind of, you know, uh, basically confront my grief over losing my dad, but also my grief over like relationships that had ended, um, grief over not being where I thought I would be Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life as a woman, which was married with a child. Uh So I think that I needed that space to really process that. And that space brought me joy, right? But then there were moments where I was just, 
I was really sad, right? And I do talk about them. You know, I talk about a lot of that in the book. <laughs> I might seem like bipolar or something, but I think all of us can, can go from, you know, some days really feeling awful and some days feeling really light and it's just unpredictable. But I think the only way to kind of move forward when you've had pain or you feel grief, grief about anything um, is to really think of it as something that you can alchemize into wisdom, right? So all these painful experiences all these um, these breakups or these um, short relationships that kind of just petered out and didn't, you know, um, eventually emerge into something long lasting, like all that stuff kind of takes a toll. But it's like, okay, these people were actually teachers to me. Um, obviously, as you know, I write about a, a relationship with a woman in the book, and I was really heartbroken over that and it took me such a long time. And but I now, and, and towards the end of that journey, I started to see her as a teacher. I'm like, thank God, because she really, like, broke me open, right? And, um, you know, that's, that's what's kind of amazing about these experiences is if you see them as, like, gifts. Because I, I was now I just see grief as a gift, right? Um, I know it sounds weird, but it kind of makes you get to the core of yourself. And yeah. um, it, it kind of gives you more than what you had before. And yeah. that's, I write a lot about that. Hello, lovely listeners. I want to pause for a moment here to make sure that you know how you can get even more access to this type of inspiration and support. Emerging Women has its own membership community where you get teachings from incredible female leaders and coaching support directly from me, as well as other brilliant members within the Emerging Women tribe every month. If you are ready to go deeper into your own leadership and emerging journey, head over to EmergingWomen.com for a free trial of our membership community. We've truly designed it as a hub for women like you who want to create change in the world. Don't go it alone, sisters. Head over to EmergingWomen.com forward slash membership and start your free trial today. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Yeah, I agree. I I feel that, um, you know, loneliness and grief and even, you know, frankly, depression are gateways to, um, or let's just say opportunities, but I will also say gateways to real spiritual opening. And I mean, just look at Eckhart Tolle and his, you know, he was on the edge and thought about suicide every day and, you know, really begged for some kind of help and, and kept asking over and over again, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And then who's asking that question? And, you know, woke up one day and was, you know, completely enlightened, whatever that means. But, you know, really, for real, I mean, he had a sense and a perception that many would call enlightened. And, you know, that was through depression, and so I think that if we try and block this stuff out and often I see myself like adding more experience on, which is why it's amazing that you were able to travel and yet still create space for yourself internally. Because my, when I feel grief and hurt, I, I like sort of, I have to fight off the urge to just add on experience after experience to keep my mind off it. But keeping your mind on it and really staying present with that pain is the uh, is the way to move through it. But not only just move through it, but to gain a level of perception and depth and you know connection that we never thought was possible. Absolutely, and I, I mean I, I see it now. Any challenge I have, because you know of course I still have challenges. They they're never ending. Um, <laughs> makes life interesting. But I, I see the spiritual compost. That's like, that's the only way to look at it. It's fertilizer, right? Um, yeah. Um, but because I, I know that now because I feel like I gained so much from what I lost. Uh-huh. If that makes any sense. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um, say more about that. You gained so much. Say yeah, more about I, gained, I don't even, I, it just kind of came out, but I gained so much from what I lost in that, you know, losing my dad, and like just, you know, these breakups, I just, I gained more of myself, like as in it made me go deeper, right? So, you know, for example, I was telling uh, a friend, you know, months ago, months ago that I was like, I just, I, I want a partner who has 
bend down and back, who is bent to the depths and back. I cannot be with someone kind of like what you were saying earlier, who hasn't gone on some kind of journey, right? Usually mm-hmm. we go on a spiritual journey when we've had some, some challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Some, we've yeah. had a deep, um, I don't know, if we had grief of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know that those people, anyone who's had tragedy in their lives come back layered and wise, right? There's mm-hmm. no, you don't, when you come back, because most of the time you do, um, like Eckhart Tolle did, you become, you come back richer and layered and wise. It's mm-hmm. that, I don't know, it's just, this, it's like this opening, right? Yeah. It's like I wasn't, I had only gone to the surface of my, what I thought was myself, but then I just pushed, plunged through, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not fun, <laughs> but now I'm like, God, I can't, I don't even know who I was like five, 10 years ago. Right. I just feel like such a different person. So, and you know, spoiler alert, I did meet someone and we're in love and he's amazing. And he also has gone through something similar, right. As in like, he's very, he's had his tragedies in life. And so we can connect because I knew that after what I'd gone through, you know, and, and also being an aid worker and stuff and seeing all the, you know, turmoil in the world. I was like, I need someone who's been, had that exposure, right. Who can get to that, um, to those, who can reach those emotional depths, you know, hopefully I'm making sense. (laughs) You are no, totally. And congratulations on finding that person. And, um, well, thank you. Yes. I mean, it's a long journey, right. And, and this was, a result, basically, of you saying, okay, I'm not just going to overlay all my pain with more experience and more of the same patterning. I'm going to carve this time out. I'm going to do the man fast or and other fasts. And now I know myself more. And now I'm ready for the real, real. And you got exactly, it sounds like, what you've been asking for and seeking all this time. Right. And I think there was so much that went into that. There was like, no, really, there's no formula. And, and everybody has their own process of healing, right? It's, none of it's linear. Yeah. That's why originally I was going to write a self-help book. Um, that's the book proposal that I sold. And then when I started, you know, I sat down to start writing just a memoir, kind of just pour it out. Um, and I, I just wanted it to be, you know, I wanted to share the richness and the complexity I've experienced as being a woman in this world and just to, to do it with brutal honesty, right? But I think what brought me to him was that, and I at that point was like, I could be with a woman, I could be with a man. I, I didn't know which way it was going to go, or I could be alone. I mean, I had gotten to this point where I was like, I am whole and happy on my own. But it was like, how, if that's the case, how do I live? And even now, even in a partnership, how do I live a life that's authentic and inspiring? These were the questions that were driving my journey. Um, I think yeah. that was really important. Uh, and then also, you know, having love for and gratitude for everything on my path, right? Because people are like, because I'm not religious. I mean, I am not. I'm pretty anti-religion, to be honest, um, for all the ways that it's oppressed women and minorities throughout history. But sometimes, you know, people are like, what, what are, what's your religion? And my dad used to say his religion was nature, which sometimes now I use because I, mm. that's where I feel like the divine around me, right? But I, I think that having love and appreciation and gratitude for for everything on your path is the path. You know, mm-hmm. the Buddhists always talk about the path, but that is the path. And I think that once I was on that path, it's like good and bad. This is my life. And, yeah. you know, these are my choices. It was like a, a real deep acceptance. And then only then I think was there that openness or that kind of something about me that maybe made me more attractive to somebody else. Right. I mean, it's all timing. There's, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no real formula because everyone's on their own journey, right? And he wouldn't have been ready for me a few years ago, right? Because he was going through his own stuff. Yeah, but so. what, it's almost like uh, what you really wanted was not so much the man or the relationship, although I know that that was super high on the list, but it sounds like, and also from the book, you got what you wanted, which was, I feel happy and fulfilled and grateful. And I'm going to use the word that I used to have resentment towards, but the word is contentment, mm-hmm. right? And it yeah. Oh like my God. I had, that. yeah. Yeah. Because like, I think I had expanded the, my vision of my life. Right. Cause before, you know, having an Indian mom, 
it's kind of like, when are you going to get married and have kids? When are you going to, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> kind of a headache, right? And it was like, okay, but I failed because I haven't, you know, lived up to these expectations. And I think on, when I was on my man pass, I was like, let me, let me just like disconnect from all of that cultural pressure, uh, societal pressure, and then just think, what is the most expansive life that I can lead, right? And so mm-hmm. that was kind of what was driving me. And that's, in the end, I had, and then that's when I was thinking about all the different kinds of love, like, and thinking about all the communities I am involved in or want to be more involved in. And I got to the point where when I was done with it, I just felt like my life was so complete. It was this real sense of completeness. Is that a word? Completion? Anyway. Um, and, yeah. and I think that that's when I was really ready. But I wasn't ready because I was like, you know what? My, my, my life is too full. So actually, ironically, when, when I met him and it just kind of happened very fast, I had a lot of like kind of letting go to do of like all this stuff. I was like, how do I make space in my life that's so full and that I'm so happy with for this person, right? So it was just ironic because I felt this emptiness beforehand, you know, years ago when I was single in New York and on um, all different kinds of dating apps. And then it was like, now I'm after the man fast, I was like, oh my God, my life is so full. And then I'm like, how do I let this guy in? Um, right. And that's going to be a continuation, right? It's not like I, I still, I still struggle to juggle it all like my all my own stuff and then he comes with his stuff and you know now and then we've got a baby on the way which is very exciting so (laughs) yeah so you know making space for that and um it's just really wonderful so I feel like my my life is double whole now you know but but even if I hadn't met someone I, I I was fine I was absolutely fine I think a lot of women eventually get to that place, right? Um, yeah. Well, it's well, the, hopefully they do. Well, it's the irony of, you know, to feel fulfilled, which has a certain, like, you know, my cup is full. I feel this abundance in relationship and other ways. Um, we have to empty, right? We have to make space for it. And the biggest way we make space is to cut out the shit that we keep thinking about and the stuff that takes up such space in our brain, like contracted perspectives, repeating limiting beliefs. And, and, you know, so making space is, is sort of the way that you did this in order to become fulfilled. The analogy that I always use is, you know, when I was working full time, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, I mean, I'm a new entrepreneur, right? I was like, go to the office gal for over 15 years. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to have so much space. And within like a nanosecond, I couldn't believe how much, you know, like there was in the world outside of the busyness that was, you know, my job and everything. I just, I just thought that, oh, if I'm not like going to an office, then I'm going to be completely, you know, like I'm going to have all this time. And when you're doing what you want, right, it doesn't feel like empty, you know, clutter. It feels purposeful and it feels full in a very good way. Um, And so I just, you know, I let this story just further echoes that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was kind of, that's why I wanted to get out of New York City. I mean, I was so busy and accomplishment oriented, right? And I think you raise a really important point. Like we're so busy that we often we actually don't even take the time to meet ourselves like on a real yep. level. Right. So we kind of go through life in this, um, you know, nine to five this kind of pseudo collective trance. And then we're so busy and active. And I think a lot of us, cause we don't want to deal with our issues too. So we just fill up our days, but it's, we do it in a way that swallows up, you know, the existence of an, a meaningful inner life. And I think a lot of us with this new rise of consciousness that we're kind of feeling, right this awakeness, I think it's about that. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Um, You know, what's my purpose? Um, This can't be, you know, I'm not just here to make money, but like we grew up thinking, I guess, you know, that we, we, you know, being kind of subscribed to the patriarchal paradigm of success, um, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and um, having financial equity with men. And then, you know, of course, we live in, especially in the West, we live in such a materialistic society, which all, you know, all value is placed on, on what we do for a living and how much we make and how much we have, right? Yeah. And that's just 
such that's such a that makes you feel so empty. I mean, one of the things you know, just getting back to like this, when I think about how how I made myself ready to meet that person, um, I think it was like I always wanted someone to save me in some way, and I didn't. It's not like you know, I was a and still am like a fierce woman, and I you know, you know again like working woman, supporting myself, etc. But I think I I was like looking for stuff outside of myself for someone to come and bring me things right to save me from whatever it was and then I think if I like one of the main things that I learned on this journey is that we have to save ourselves like no guy is going to save us right hallelujah only until we yeah yeah and and no one outside of ourselves right so until we let go of this idea oh once I meet him once I get somebody everything will be perfect um and then I won't feel sad and I won't feel like empty and I think that that's that's one of the things that I, I really realized. It's like, until I save myself, there's, there's no way I can actually be in an authentic partnership with someone else. So for me, you know, it was like saving myself for my ego, right? Like working at the United Nations, all that stuff. And then, you know, saving myself, like I was talking about for my grief and, you know, my sadness. And then I talk a lot in the book about how my job was feeling monotonous. Um, and so I kind of, you know, was, feeling despondent, right? So I had to like own up to these emotions and then kind of transcend them on my own first, right? Because you don't ever meet someone when you're feeling that way about your situation, right? And then we have to save ourselves from, you know, feeling, and this was a huge part of of my journey in my book was like feeling physically crappy. And you're talking about how you, you know, you worked for 15 years. It was like, when you work at that pace and at the level that you were at, like, when do you actually have time to like take care of your body? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible because, um, you know, our bodies are the thrones of our souls and yet we kind of treat them like shit. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things I did at the very beginning when I was in India is I started to get really into Ayurveda and I went to this ashram and did all this, you know, cleansing and et cetera. And I think like that's, that's on us, right? No one else is going to make us feel better and, like oh I'll I'll start looking good when I meet someone or I'll start investing in my health when I meet him no do it now right yeah. and then like we, we and then going back to your point earlier about being lonely it's like you know I've been lonely a lot but actually like I yes oh my god I I'm lonelier in a crowded room or restaurant than I than I am on my own like on a mountaintop like I was working on the Etna I'm like I rather it can be so lonely being with people that you don't feel connected to. So weirdly, um, for nine months, for the most part, I was alone, but it felt, it just, I didn't feel lonely, right? right? But before in New York City, I felt lonely. Does that make sense? When I was totally. surrounded by people. Totally. Yes. When you're and not then, connected. Then, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. painful. It's painful. But the whole thing, like, even, you know, I starting to feel this when I left, but like, I have to save myself from this feeling of loneliness by engaging in meaningful communities right yeah like like emerging women you know I just I think that that and that's what a lot of women are waking up to right maybe there isn't that perfect partner maybe we can't subscribe to monogamy or or maybe we can all be polyamorous but how how do we not feel lonely well when we have connection with others right so um so that that was kind of one of the things I really wanted to get across because I felt like that was my big epiphany it was around saving ourselves um because I think we we want to be or we're taught that we're supposed to be rescued, right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the danger in all of it, the, the yeah. fairy tales that we that we, are, we kind of absorb as we're growing up. Yeah. Um, no, I know. And gosh, the only way through is within, <laughs> you know? I mean, there's just, there's just no way around it. I used to put my hand in front of, when I was at work, I had this, my like work husband and I was going through so much transfer. This is before emerging women, so much transformation and I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't like, no one could help me like the people in my life, even my women's circle. I think they could help me like reflect and everything. But at the end of the day, there was like my hand in front of my face, any which way I turned myself looking back at me and no one can do that work for you. Nobody right. can do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I've been reading a lot about this, but transformation is actually our nature. It's amazing how many people resist change and transformation, yeah. but that is what we're supposed to be doing. That is part of our biological destiny, if you will. Yep. 
Yeah. So, I mean, but people sometimes, and that's, I think, when we have midlife crises, right? Because it's like we, we just repress that for so long. Um, and, you know, you always hear about men having them at like 50 and buying sports cars and stuff. But it really, it's, it's all of us. It's men and women. They don't just get to have them. We get to, too. Yay. But, I mean, it is really about, I think, um, owning up to that transformation that needs to, to happen. You know, um, Carl Jung talked a, lot about, talked a lot about it in his writing about how that there's a transition in, in midlife at the time it was 40, but where you kind of separate, separate, you have separate selves basically coming to the fore. But yeah. um, I was reading uh, the word courage. I love this because I read this recently. Um, the Latin root of, of core actually means heart, right? Like in French, you have cœur is heart. Yeah. And so basically to be courageous means to live with heart. And I think like, it's courageous to want to engage in this self-transformation, right? And that's living with heart. And then it just, I don't know, it just comes so full circle for me because, you know, I feel like yeah. that's the only and the deepest way to live. And, and you know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when Brene Brown says, you know, I, you know, if I, if you're not in the arena, I'm not interested in your feedback. And what she means by the arena is, are you living with heart? In other words, are you like really not, not like, are you a baller? You know, like Mm -hmm. that's a different kind of being in the arena. But I think for her, it's like, if you're living with heart, you're in the arena and that's the future. I mean, I, that's that's the future. We're in a uh, very interdependent uh, physically on the planet, but also human beings are becoming more consciously and energetically interdependent. And living with heart is the only way that we are going to make all of that work. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, when she talks about that, I'm wondering if she's like, she wants to be people are willing to risk what they know for what they don't know. I, I find those people to be the most interesting, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I always felt like without, without the unknown life is just mechanical uh-huh. and, and kind of dead. Right. Uh-huh. And so I had a friend call me the other day. She was really upset. I have a lot of, I have young and old friends. She's a millennial friend. And she was like, you know, I just feel so lost. And I'm like, good. I'm like, good. That's great. And I'm just confused. I'm like, um, you know, because when you're lost, that's how you find yourself. You won't, people who don't kind of take that time or allow themselves to get lost, right? Yeah. Some people just stay on the same path. But I'm like, good, be lost. And then know that this is going to be part of your transformation. It's all going to lead to something. You just don't know, but just trust me, it will. I've been lost, like, often on my whole life. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I tried to tell her, like, you can't be scared of it, right? That's, um... You know, I love Rebecca Solnit, the writer, and she uh, writes a lot about this. And she's and she here's a quote here from her, and she says, "Leave the door open for the unknown, the door into the dark. That's where the most important things come from." And I just think that there's something there. It just really resonates with me how, um, yeah. you know, we have to lose ourselves. We have to lose ourselves over and over. I love it, and, and- that's. That's, yeah, yeah I, th- I I definitely feel like we're so, we put so much weight on clarity and I'm just like, clarity is so overrated. This is my dog. <laughs> okay, everybody. We're going to leave that in on the podcast. But um, <laughs> that uh, clarity is just so overrated. And I when Anne Lamott spoke at Emerging Women a couple of years ago, she said, you know, you only need like it's almost like going through the unknown is like driving a car down a dark road and all you really need is the light from the headlights to show you just a little bit in front of the car and as you go down you can keep going down the road um, as far as it will go with only that much light showing and that's you know when you're on the emergent path right where things are emerging you, you're not going to get clarity. You know, you've got to commit yourself to surrender and trust and just seeing as far as the headlights will show you. Otherwise you're going to go crazy with shoulds. This whole like desperate need for clarity and answers. And, um, like you said, you know, this is like almost like needing the one 
right? As another version of that is just so painful. I'm so over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was definitely over it. But I mean, I think with that, it's like, yeah, we cannot plan too far ahead. I, the only answer is like living with deep awareness, right? And that's yeah. when they always talk about living in the now, because that's, that's all you know. You yeah. don't know, I mean, what's ahead, how much longer you'll be around, right? Yeah. But it, it is, it's this, it's a, a radical honesty with yourself about what's happening. And then also that this real exquisite surrendering. And that was hard. And that's, that's actually why I, my second chapter is called surrendering because I struggle a lot with surrendering. And I think when you're a career woman, like you've been, it's like, you want to control everything and oh, yeah. you know, everything has to go according to the timeline. It's like, Hey, you cannot control this. Right. Mm -hmm. So getting comfortable surrendering was probably one of the the most important things I did in terms of that self excavation, mm -hmm. that transformation and all of that work. Yep. Yep. Mm. So juicy. So good. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope this is helpful you know, to the listeners who are not just applying this to relationship, but also to any place where we're desperately holding on to a vision of what we want for an outcome and how valuable it is to take a step back and create space within ourselves so that we can uh, have the time for self-awareness, self-development, and also just uh, watching the flowers grow, right? And that is, I think, you know, what your book really kind of meant for me on a larger scale was that the riches come Soon after that, the more that we can give ourselves the space to truly become intimate with the truth of who we are, the rest will come. Exactly. Very well paraphrased. <laughs> but yeah. like anyway, folks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's such, it's such an honor to connect with you again. And uh, we will we'll be in touch. I mean, this is a continuing journey. Congratulations on the baby. And uh, when is your due date? So we can all just like July. send a prayer up. A cancer? July 10th. Sh yeah, so cancer. Just like me. Yay! So come on my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I feel really blessed. Yeah, everything I, I wanted and I, that I thought I wasn't going to get, I, I ended up manifesting. So um, it can happen for everyone, right? Sometimes our journeys just take longer than we planned. Oh, God. But yes, thank you for, for, I love Emerging Women, and thank you for um, letting me use your platform um, to reach all of your wonder, the wonderful women in this community. Yes, so. yes. And your book's coming <laughs> out in uh, the U.S. June. In June. In right? June. So okay, so we... baby's coming in June. <laughs> everything's yep, getting birth. baby in July. Yes. Okay, great. Well, we will have a link to that in the show notes, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. It's a page turner. You will not put it down. And please stay in touch, Natasha. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this Emerging Women podcast, please subscribe and review it on iTunes and share it with your friends. When you do, it makes a huge difference in spreading this work and building this movement so that women worldwide can access these incredible conversations, tap into their own emergence, and support the rise of women globally. Also, be sure to check out the Emerging Women membership community with live sessions every month hosted by inspiring female leaders and me, founder and CEO of Emerging Women, Chantal Pirat. The membership is a hub of resources and support, full of brilliant emerging women like you who are stepping into their growth and their leadership. You can join for free at EmergingWomen.com. Until next time, may your journey be inspired.